Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast where we explore compelling ideas and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. And I'm Brittany. And this week, we're continuing our read-through of Catching Fire, reading Chapter 15. Yeah, there was just too much that happened. We had to do 15 by itself. Yeah, this was a, a big chapter. We see a lot happening. So why don't, why don't you tell us what happens in this chapter? So the chapter opens with Katniss's prep team crying while preparing her for the opening ceremony. So Cinna has to take over and gets Katniss ready in a glowing ember outfit and bold, severe makeup. Before the ceremony takes place, Finnick O'Dare saunters over and offers Katniss a sugar cube and... Finnick O'Dear. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Then Katniss and Peeta are a big hit with the capital audience yet again, but refuse to smile or wave at the crowd. Afterwards, they meet several other victors who tease and harass Katniss. There's Cedar from District 11 that tells Katniss Rue's family is alive. Then Chaff from District 11 as well kisses her on the mouth. Gross. And Johanna Mason strips naked and goes in a very uncomfortable elevator ride with them. Katniss then gets mad at Peta for laughing about the situation about them supposedly teasing her and making fun of her because she's so quote-unquote pure. Mm -hmm. Later, Katniss sees that Darius, who was a peacekeeper back from District 12, has been turned into an Avox and is serving their team, which she knows must have been Snow's cruel idea to torment her. And that's where the chapter ends. Yeah, so a lot happens. Meet new people, lots of interactions. Um, so let's get into our analysis. So what were your striking moments, the pieces that st- stood out to you in this reading? Yeah, so one of them was just age. It mentions that Finnick was 14 mm. when he won his games and is the youngest victor that anyone can remember. And it's just... My youngest cousin is 14, Mm. and imagining someone his age being in the Hunger Games, being sexually exploited, just going through all of that is just... Yeah, it puts things into perspective. Yeah. And another thing I was thinking about is that Canis and Peta are around 17 years old, Mm -hmm. and 17-year-olds against a fit 24-year-old like Finnick or a 30-year-old like Enovaria is just also so ridiculous because some are children and others are adults that are very fit. Absolutely. (laughs) And it's just, I mean, obviously 17 or 18-year-olds against a 12-year-old is also ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, But... Once you get adults into the mix, it's just, I don't know. It's its all a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, that the ages were sticking out to me, uh, particularly this read-through. Yeah, it's interesting too because that also subverts the idea that this is just another high school arena kind of story because the second arena is people of so many different ages and how those ages interact with their experiences and as we'll see what happens in the arena i think is is 
an interesting element that is, yeah, much more than what some people could bill Hunger Games as. is just a kind mm-hmm. of teen fiction type of thing. Yeah, there's a 63-year age gap mm-hmm. between Katniss and Mags. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing that I just had to bring some attention to is Johanna Mason saying that she wanted to reach through the screen and rip Katniss's dress off of her back, which mm-hmm. is obviously a very Johanna way to phrase something. <laughs> but I always read Johanna as queer, and I know a lot of people have done fanships and mm-hmm. fan art and stuff. And so, yeah, just just bringing attention to that. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, Johanna, that's not how you flirt with someone. (laughs) (laughs) At least not Katniss. No, no. Another thing is, oof, Effie, 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 saying a matched set. Oh, yeah. About the A-box. So awful. Oh, no. It's so bad. And I mean, it kind of reminds me of that line from Slughorn mm-hmm. from totally the Half-Blood Prince in Harry Potter. Yeah, looking at people in this very dehumanized way of, of yeah. something that you can collect. Obviously, in this case, it is significantly worse because these people are enslaved mm-hmm. and their ability to verbalize is taken away from them. It's bad. It's really bad. It's atrocious. And for her to to see it as like a, a nice thing is just... Oh, how fun! Yeah, exactly. She is so clearly out of step with the experiences of everyone around her. Yeah. Which is like, oh, Effie, you made a little bit of progress <laughs> exactly. with the wine and abstaining from it because of Hamish. But, I mean, but that is how people are, right? Like, exactly. you might start to be more compassionate or think about others more in one area but that doesn't necessarily mean you do in all areas and you'll probably go back and forth especially as you're learning how to do that but yeah yeah. and i mean it's exemplary also of probably just the attitude of most people towards a boxes absolutely in the capital yeah you know the thing that i thought might be a good idea to bring up is just the some of the language usage in this chapter, like PETA asking Katniss, do you think that we would have ended up as, quote, part of the freak show mm-hmm. if it had just been one of us that won? And so in doing so, he's recognizing that all of the others are alone in a way that they haven't been. Mm-hmm. But still, like, using language like freak, which is not good... <laughs> That's offensive language for sure. Yeah, to tapping into probably how he's seen them, Mm -hmm. you know, growing up. But it implies some amount of judgment, right? So even if he has a little more understanding now than he did previously, it still hasn't translated over into, like, changing his language, you know? Yeah, absolutely. This is a a moment that struck me, too, because Mm -hmm. uh, that language is so forceful. And for a character who is as empathetic as Peta, it's so othering mm-hmm. of the other victors. It made me start to think to what extent Peta was already starting to think of them as enemies 
mm-hmm. and kind of othering them in that way to not say, oh, we're in this together, but more, you know, particularly because they haven't had that experience with them yet as mentors, but also because he has spent three months studying their games, thinking about them as enemies and as rivals and as obstacles at the very least. And rereading this section after kind of having these thoughts, I I was also thinking that he seems to think about them as other in this way because he also sees them not just like as other from other districts, but othered because they are part capital almost. Mm -hmm. Like they've taken on capital style and culture and personality and actions and and he feels like they've embraced it exactly. to some degree yeah yeah and so yeah it was an interesting moment of maybe a spotlight into how Peta is not navigating this particular experience very well mm-hmm. um certainly not compassionately or empathetically and uh maybe in a way that is itself really complex yeah, definitely. I think it's also interesting that Katniss, I think, does a similar thing, not not with the same word, but when she's thinking of it's one thing to dress up kids and parade mm. them around, but when a lot of these people are, you know, they're they look different, their bodies look different based off of their own addictions or age and things like that and she used the word grotesque Mm -hmm. and i wonder if that's part of the socialized perspective that like only people who look a certain way are dressed like this Mm. the costumes are still not great but it's not as bad when it's people who look young and people who are smaller and things like that yeah yeah. But what about you? What were your striking moments this time? Well, other than that moment about language, I was thinking about when Katniss goes to lunch with Cinna, one of the dishes that she describes is tiny versions of real vegetables in butter. <laughs> yeah, that was very interesting wording. Which made me think, you know, it could be something like baby corn, but it also made me think about how the capital could absolutely just make miniature versions of vegetables that either they genetically modified or they grew or they crafted to be aesthetically this kind of yeah miniature version of it now i'm just thinking about in the most recent season of the great british bake-off chiggs when he was making a carrot cake he cut part of a carrot to make it look like a tiny baby carrot Mm -hmm. and it was really cute and i could see them doing that too and just wasting the rest exactly and that's that's my thing is that whatever way they're doing it whether they're crafting it they're cutting it down or they're modifying it with their technology they are putting effort into changing it so that it's more aesthetically pleasing but less productive for what food is supposed to be yeah And so I think it's just another, you know, I never really paid attention to this dish before, but it's another example of how capital cooking is about so much more than just taste. And in particular, how different it is for someone like Katniss, who's had to experience hunger and possible starvation, to 
see something like that, but even she has grown more accustomed to it, where she doesn't spend the time commenting on it the way that she might have in the first book. Yeah, it just was an interesting kind of little little detail that, that kind of got my, my head going off in a, in a tangent. Totally. I love, though, that you said food in the capital is for something other than just taste. <laughs> removed from is for something other than just nourishment. Oh, that's absolutely what I meant. I don't know why I said taste. Clearly you see what my priorities exactly. are. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, oh no, he's oh, showing how capital oh, he is. That's me, yep. <laughs> Snowy and slip. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> uh, the other moment I wanted to touch on was when Kat at the beginning of the chapter, when Katniss is talking about the prep team crying over her. Mm-hmm. And she says how her having to comfort them is slightly annoying <laughs> because you know she's going to be in, sent into the arena to be slaughtered. Yeah, she has uh, so much patience for it to be just slightly annoying yeah. instead of infuriating. But she, she sees their tears as a sign that they've grown attached to her. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't comment on it, but I see her spending the time to comfort them as showing that as annoying as they can be, she's also grown attached to them, where Mm -hmm. she does put herself out for them. And she does try to care for them in this way that they should never ask her or or put on her to do, but she still takes up. So yeah, I think that it's, it's interesting in a chapter in which she talks about how she can be her true self in looking down on the Capitol (laughs) as if they're completely beneath her. And she's like, yes, I can be myself for once. It's the same chapter that she is going out of her way to comfort some Capitol people who have, especially interpersonally, really represented the Capitol to her in a lot of ways. So yeah, just, just, I think an interesting show don't tell moment where Katniss isn't talking about how she wants them to feel better. She's talking about how annoying this is. She's narrating that aspect, but her actions are still being caring, being compassionate. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's move into our next segment. This is from another point of view where we look at the chapter through perspectives other than Katniss's. So who did you want to talk about? I was thinking a bit about Senna and if he has people who are close to him Mm. because he said if he channels his emotions into his work he'll only hurt himself and no one else and i was wondering the same thing yeah and so it was just kind of getting me into his views a bit of himself of how he clearly doesn't want to burden anyone he doesn't want to like, he, he has walls up, mm-hmm. I think. And it's interesting because Katniss can connect with him like she hasn't with anyone else from the Capitol and, and not very many people in general, even in District 12. And I don't know if it's partially because of that fact, because she also has walls up and she can sense that he does in certain ways, but because he doesn't want to burn anyone, he doesn't ask anything of her. Yeah. He's just able to be there for her and support her. So yeah, I was, I was kind of thinking about if he has a fairly lonely life, does mm. he and Portia work so closely together? Maybe he would open up to her. I, I don't know. But it was just something that I was kind of wondering about. Absolutely. Yeah. And 
how we don't really know much about Cinna, how Katniss doesn't seem to know much about Cinna outside of his work and that his characteristics with her, like his, his personality. But yeah, if he has hobbies outside of that, if, you know, what his childhood was like, what his family life is like, his friends, you know, all of those things are pretty unexamined despite her close friendship with him. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting too, we don't know his last name mm-hmm. versus someone like Deli Cartwright. Mm. We know her full name, even though we know Plutarch Heavensby, we know Coriolanus Snow, we know Effie Trinket, and we don't for the prep team, but she's also not close to the prep team. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I don't know if that kind of signifies that a bit as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that quote also made me wonder in what ways he's already been hurt from his work. Because mm-hmm. I can imagine that being an emotional hurt of knowing that he's participating in a horrific ritual that is killing children and having to come to terms with what that means to be a part of that. But I also wonder if the reason that he's still a fairly new stylist is because he has not always played the game the way that's supposed to be played in the capital and that he's allowed his integrity for his art to hold him back in being successful in the way we considered in the capital. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what would it mean to for this to be your skill set yeah. in the capital? What can you actually use it for mm-hmm. if you are not happy with things that the capital is doing? Let's just make art for rich people you know it's yeah absolutely the other person that i was thinking about their perspective is darius Mm. i was compelled by the idea of him going from a privileged position in district 12 as a peacekeeper to being enslaved and and losing that ability to to speak verbally Mm mm-hmm not just losing it, but actually having it taken away from him. So I was imagining him, when he first got to the capital, just having a lot of anger and sorrow and also regret that he even tried to stop Gale from being whipped because this is where it landed him. Mm-hmm. But then after several months, maybe having his thoughts turn to guilt over his role in policing District 12. Because even if he wasn't vile about it, or if he didn't physically harm anyone, uh, any of the residents in District 12, he was still an arm of the Capitol that was placed there because his presence would serve to intimidate people so that they would continue to be oppressed without revolting. So now he is experiencing this very, very intense oppression. And yeah, I was thinking about if if that's something that then he would look back on his, his time before and have any guilt over that Mm. Uh, and and i would imagine that if he got to that point you know his thoughts would probably oscillate between thinking about his own horrible existence now and also thinking about others you know going back and forth because it's not just like oh well i've come to this certain place you know and i only Mm -hmm. think about other people now um but it would probably yeah ebb and flow a bit and 
I was thinking about when he found out that he would have to be serving Katniss and Hamish while they're in the capital. Him just really hoping that she wouldn't make a scene or make anything worse for her or him. Mm. And kind of dreading them arriving, but also being like, these are two people who actually care about me, you know? And then when he actually sees Katniss and Hamish and also hears Effie make that horrific comment, I was thinking about Darius just feeling pain that maybe he didn't expect to feel. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. That's really fascinating because Darius becomes this like liminal figure between district and capital where he's even as a peacekeeper in 12 not entirely capital Mm -hmm. when he's standing up against the other peacekeepers when gail's getting whipped but then they also know that they can utilize him as a tool against katniss because of what he's done but her relationship with him was also not as another district person so like yeah he's this very very interesting character in that space Mm -hmm. yeah but what about you well i wanted to touch a little bit more on your comments about johanna mason from earlier uh, I love your queer reading of her kind of talking about reaching through the the television set. I even had a perspective that I thought was different from Katniss's there, because Katniss talks about how as soon as she starts talking about Cinna's designs, she's like, oh, girl talk, talking about clothes. <laughs> yeah. This is something I've never been good at. And I think that that might be a complete misreading of what Johanna's doing there. I don't necessarily think that Johanna is saying that she wishes that she could have Cinna as her designer because she wants to wear nice clothes because it's pretty. I think she wants to do it because she realizes how important it is as a tribute in the games. How Cinna's designs, compared to her own, the person who's been designing hers for 40 years and not doing anything original, Cinna's designs helped Katniss. It's very clear that that's the case. And maybe she she and the people that she's mentored since would have had a better survivability if they had someone like Cinna. Mm-hmm. And so Katniss, I think, reacts immediately as like, oh, I'm not sure what to do here because we're talking about clothes all of a sudden, when I think she could have a conversation here about strategy and about survivability. So yeah, I, I just, I think it's an interesting perspective that I wonder if there's a reading of, and, and you know, this being a queer reading as well, of is it that Katniss is so defensive about ideas of traditional femininity that she kind of responds and, and acts out against that uh, and kind of isn't really seeing other other perspectives there? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's interesting. I didn't read it that way. Uh, I was thinking of it as maybe... I really don't know very much about Katniss. If I want to make conversation with her, I'm not going to talk about her family Mm -hmm. or something she misses back home because I don't want her to talk about things that I will also never see again. Mm -hmm. So it's like, well, what can you talk about? You know, like (laughs) what points of conversation are there to be had? And, you know, even if she's a, a queer young woman with short spiky hair it doesn't mean she doesn't also really like nice clothes True. Yeah. you know yeah. 
maybe that's what she spends her <laughs> victor's winnings on at home i have no idea um, but um yeah that that moment always is funny to me because i relate to katniss so much there <laughs> because uh definitely in certain certain things like that those conversations i'm also like i don't know what to talk about and there was one time it was my freshman year in college and it was like my hall of the dorm and our floor was like female we all <laughs> went to this restaurant i'm like okay i guess i'll go try to like make friends with people or whatever but <laughs> literally for an hour of the conversations people were just talking about nails and hair and makeup and I'm just like I don't I don't know what to talk about like I don't know how to interact <laughs> and that was the last time I ever went to one of the events because <laughs> yeah get me talking about Lord of the Rings or <laughs> Harry Potter or something, that would have been fine. But <laughs> those conversations, I'm like, uh, I have nothing to add. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm like, I, I get you, Katniss. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The other perspective I was thinking about was Finnick O'Dare. Um, Obviously. Of course. Someone needs to talk about Finnick O'Dare. <laughs> and there's so much to say about Finnick. But the thing that, that kind of sparked my imagination this time was Katniss describing how he was a career, but that his weapon was a trident and a net. Because in District 4, they're fishing, and so he spent so much of his life on a boat. And it made me think about what Finnick's childhood was like, because if it's a career district, then he probably did volunteer to be a tribute um, because if he didn't, someone else would have. But at the same time, it doesn't sound like he spent his entire childhood just training. If he was actually spending that much time on a boat, he probably was still involved in the production, the fishing, the economic aspect that's required in that district. Think about child labor. Mm-hmm. Because Katniss doesn't have any experience coal mining because they're not allowed to until they're 18 or older. Absolutely. But, yeah. So it, it made me wonder if maybe Finnick, especially at the age of 14, not 18, if he felt like he had to volunteer that early, that young, because maybe even if he was training, his family still needed help and... He thought that doing this would be a way of maybe earning money for his family. Or, you know, was there some other kind of situation? But it just, it made me think about the decisions of which any career might make the decision to volunteer beyond just, I've been trained my whole life for this. Because if that's the case, it would make sense for them to then volunteer the last year they're eligible. Because then they'd be older and stronger and, and, every, yeah. and more trained. And so for Phoenix to do have done that at 14, it just, for me, opens up a huge realm of possibilities that there's probably much more going on than just that picture. And yeah, one thing that we'll probably think about a lot is how Finnick responds to the way he's characterized. Because if he is so well known in the capital for all the things that Katniss describes him, how many people actually think to ask him about what his experiences were? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, that is the question. Did he volunteer? Because we know it's not uncommon for it to happen in the career districts, but we don't know that it always happens mm-hmm. every single year. I could see it being even potentially more common in District 2. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. So it's also possible that maybe some of the older boys weren't too keen on Pinnick and mm. his beauty and nobody volunteered like his name was pulled out and nobody volunteered for Interesting. him. Interesting, yeah. They're like, ah, great, get him out of out of our district, mm-hmm. you know. Maybe he was a little cocky with his great looks being a fourteen <laughs> year old. Who knows? Um but if he volunteered he definitely had hubris. I mean, I mean yes. or maybe he didn't because he won. That's true. But <laughs> it wasn't overconfidence, but it was confidence. <laughs> it was still brazen exactly. confidence. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I could see maybe maybe his name was pulled and nobody volunteered, mm. or maybe they didn't want to because maybe volunteering was more of a practice in District Four if it was someone that they thought really wouldn't have a good chance like maybe it was a last resort sort of thing so Mm. if a 12 year old was pulled or if somebody with certain disabilities was pulled you know um maybe that was more of their practice Mm. and like ah he might actually be able to make it and i'm 18 so i won't have to deal with this again Mm -hmm. yeah i wonder so many questions i'm sure there's plenty of fanfic out there we could read (laughs) to answer i'm sure (laughs) (laughs) But speaking of Finnick, actually brings me to one just short touch point I wanted to bring up. So if we're ready to move into that section. Yeah, let's do it. So the touch points are when we connect things that we're reading to our own society. So yeah, what's your touch point? Oh, I was just thinking about the advantage of conforming to conventional standards of beauty mm. and how we see for Finnick, he was white. He was tall and he had an athletic build and that won him the games yeah i mean basically she said katniss was thinking that hardly any sponsor gifts were given mm-hmm. except to him and i can't even imagine giving a weapon like that must be really intense i wouldn't Particularly imagine it wasn't at the beginning of exactly the games, it was yeah. gifted to him and so that allowed him to survive and win mm-hmm. he wouldn't have otherwise as a 14 year old yeah and there's been all sorts of studies and terror with terrible findings of how appearance can affect people wanting to hire you for a job or you know all of these or things. even thinking that you're kind or not mm-hmm. kind yeah 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 some <laughs> story like adele Mm-hmm. being turned down by different record companies because they're like oh well you don't look how you need to look for us to spend the resources on you and it's like Adele is so amazing her voice is so amazing her songs Absolutely. are so amazing and people turned her down because of her appearance and so yeah I was just thinking about how that can significantly advantage people mm-hmm. how terrible it is Absolutely, yeah. Really good point. Another thing I was thinking about is how people in the Capitol are now upset about the games. Mm. Because 
all of these 24 kids have been paraded out and killed every year and the capital hasn't showed as much dissatisfaction with it it was just making me think of how i think a lot of people don't have an active sort of compassion for people they don't know or who they don't have a connection to in Mm -hmm. some way so even if you don't know a person personally but if something bad happened to someone in your city or someone who's the same race as you or someone who went to the university you went to or things like that it was like it's a distant connection but it's still a connection yeah but then once you know someone or you can relate to someone then i think people are generally more willing to take action than if something bad is just happening to people they don't know or can't relate to or judge yeah i think that's definitely happening here they don't really care when it's just 24 kids they don't know but for people they've seen over and over and over again and for people that the capital would view as like you know partially theirs you know yeah that they have affinity for now it matters to them yeah, I was going to touch on this too. There, mm. There's this that great line of the capital knows too much about them to forget that they're human beings. Mm-hmm. You know, because of the, they do that essentially for the other tributes. They don't think of them as human beings. They think about them as entertainment. They, they commodify them and dehumanize them. And it's harder to do that with someone that, yeah, you've invested time and energy into learning about caring for even from a distant place. Mm-hmm. I think your examples are really great. The one that I was thinking about was Malali Yousafzai mm. and how she became, understandably, you know, a, a symbol of the mistreatment of women and girls and the lack of education for them. And her activism is amazing. You know, she's done great work. But at the same time, even though many people may know her name in the United States, those same people are not the ones who are were fighting against the war in Afghanistan, mm-hmm. who are putting actual energy into combating the context that lead to oppression of women and girls and, and all these other kinds of things. You know, we as a country, we as a society, only care when there's a face not mm-hmm. when it's this kind of unknown issue. And even that's an issue that most people probably would say that they are compassionate for. But yeah, it becomes more visceral and more people feel more connected to it when it's someone they, they know about. They know their story. They can know their name and so mm-hmm. forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And one of my best friends is from Myanmar mm-hmm. and he's there currently and has been since since a bit before the coup happened there that is still ongoing and yeah I mean when I talk to him it's just so frustrating for him how little the world cares about his country about the experiences of his people how it was in the news cycle for a bit of time and then just dropped off yeah now it's turned to Ukraine and, you know, and, and it'll probably stay there for much longer than it was on Myanmar. 
I mean, I'd say it already has. I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> partially because there's white people there, partially mm-hmm. because it's in Europe and not Southeast Asia. Um, yeah. And then part of it, I think, can be a distancing thing of, oh, well, they just need to, like, figure out their stuff internally. But, like, it's it's not that simple. Let's look at the history of imperialism there by the British and the history of our imperialism all over the world too you know and it's not just oh well things are unraveling there just because and yeah it's not like this is a democratically elected government that we just happen to disagree with it's Mm -hmm. like this is a military coup that we should not be working with we should not be legitimating as a governmental body and I mean, I don't think we are. We have put very targeted sanctions mm-hmm. and stuff like that, but just the the lack of care. Yeah, um, totally. That these things are happening to people. And it's like, it frustrates me and I also get it at the same time because there's so many terrible things happening around the world and like there's only so much. Like you can't invest in all of it. It's just mm. impossible. But I think most of the people in the capital, and I think probably most of the people in the United States, are not investing in yeah. any or hardly any. At least in, in a nuanced way. That's not just like, oh, I'll donate a little bit of money and then feel good about myself or something like that. Absolutely. Yeah. And the last one that I wanted to talk about is actually going back to Finnick. <laughs> and it's that he was eating a pile of sugar cubes. <laughs> And it just made me wonder if he's required to have a certain diet Mm. and maintain a certain weight Mm. like models or actors are. You know, obviously he has this flirtatious banter, but what he's saying is if we're going to be dead in a few days, I'm going to eat this and enjoy it. And for being someone who is prized for his appearance, yeah, I definitely would imagine that he's not just allowed to eat whatever he wants he's not just allowed to gain weight or anything like that so i kind of love the fact that he's just has a mountain of sugar cubes in his hand that he's eating yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i could just imagine him like seeing it off to the side for the horses and just going over and scooping up a handful (laughs) exactly (laughs) do it finnick eat whatever you want Yeah, which is also, I think, something that we don't think about when we think about body standards Mm -hmm. is how the restraint that it requires. And, you know, if it's voluntary, if it's something that somebody wants to do for health reasons, for look reasons, for whatever, sure, that's their choice. And even when they choose to do it, if they're choosing to do something that's unhealthy, in large part because of those pressures, Mm -hmm. then that's an issue. I, I know that I at least saw some of this when... Kumail Nanjiani got cast in The Eternals Mm -hmm. and he showed his first photograph of him with a Marvel body being really ripped and having his muscles very visible and the internet had a lot of jokes about just like whoa what a what a huge change but I did see some really insightful comments of like this is an example of unhealthy dieting and exercise Mm -hmm. where you shouldn't be able to see muscles like that. That means that he is essentially starving himself as he builds up this muscle so that he can have them be as visible as possible. And that is, yeah, becomes a expectation for 
anyone who's going to be in one of those roles yeah. and also becomes part of our social ideas of what is attractive. Absolutely. Also completely ignores the fact that the only people who can do that also are the people who can pay to have mm -hmm. a trainer and exercise for three hours a day or whatever it is. Yeah. And have only the best foods and stuff like that. And so it's, it's a class issue as well as just a body issue. Totally. The average person cannot attain that because they don't have that type of time or energy or resources to spare, mm -hmm. you know. And yeah, maybe it's something that Finnick also has to spend time doing now that he doesn't have to work. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's... it's or if he just spends the two months before he goes to the Capitol every year. Yeah, I can see that too. You know, getting back into this unhealthy shape. Or maybe it's not unhealthy, but it's something yeah. that if he doesn't want to do that. Yeah. Or if it's forced on him, you know, then it's not his choice. Absolutely. Like yeah. people can be in good shape because of, of how they spend their time and stuff. Maybe yeah, I've they... heard people enjoy working out. Yeah. For some reason. <laughs> I've heard that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> some people, like this old boss that I had, she just loved taking treks of a hike. Like she would just do like on the weekend 10 miles. And that sounds so terrible to me. I don't mind hikes. Hikes I like. but 10 miles? I think at my highest was I probably seven or eight miles. I think it was each way miles. though. Yeah, that's ridiculous. <laughs> that's what I said. Um, so yeah, there are some people that like, they love exercise or their body is just naturally, you know, a bit thinner or whatnot. But yeah, yeah, when, it, when it's forced on you, like I would imagine it is for him, not so good. Not so good. But what about you? What touch points do you have for me? Uh, the only one I wanted to add is not only touching on Chaff's assault of Katniss. Yes. Which, you know, already shows how women's bodies are not respected as something that they choose how to use or how to engage with other people in. That you need permission to interact with. Exactly. But on top of that, Haymitch's guffaw and even Peta's mm -hmm. teasing later on, I think, shows how few people take that kind of thing seriously. Yeah. Oh, uh, surprisingly, it was all the men who reacted that way. Right. Um, the cis men, I should say. Yes. Uh, though we also don't see Cedar say anything or, or do anything. Mm -hmm. Maybe she did. Maybe we didn't see it. Who knows? And maybe that's because she herself has been pressured into not speaking up for those kinds of things. Because mm -hmm. that's the thing is that, you know, what is kind of seen as like the bystander problem of letting people get away with these kinds of things and I remember when I was in undergrad, we had like workshops and discussions about how to be a, a good bystander, how to stop those kinds of things if you're a bystander. And like those were clearly trying to address this issue that, yeah, people just let this kind of thing go. But there was so much resistance in any of those workshops I went to where people were just like, yeah, but how do I do this without being a jerk? How do I do this without being it's just like, there's still so many other things that are put as a higher priority then yeah respecting a woman's autonomy over her body absolutely i mean we have to throw finnick in there too mm -hmm. totally he doesn't assault her like chaff does but he makes her feel uncomfortable he mm -hmm. gets into her personal space when she doesn't want that 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely important point. Yeah, but why don't we move into our next segment? These are our wonderments, the questions that we have after reading this chapter. So what are your wonderments? One of mine was about those interactions. Peta thinks that they're messing with her Mm -hmm. because she seems so pure and innocent, right? And I'm just wondering, is that what is happening? Is that why they're doing that? Or is that just Peta's naive perspective of what's going on? Is part of it not not chaps, but like Finnick and Johanna Mason, like, is this what they think is being friendly? Mm-hmm. You know, is this like what they think is making a connection? Do they actually not know how to interact with people anymore because Hmm. everything they do is slightly disingenuous and they've been paraded out and exploited for so long since they were children that they've just grown up to understand that this is the way you interact you Hmm. know and also like Finnick literally makes a noose and pretends to hang himself Oh, wait, we haven't gotten to that yet. <laughs> the next chapter? Yeah. Oh, Finnick. So, yeah, I don't know if they just, they don't really understand how to interact or they've all primarily interacted with each other so mm. much that they forget that other people aren't used to that or aren't okay with that. Or is it some sort of weird hazing tradition mm of messing with the new victor that comes in and is initiated each year i hate hazing but people do that or is it just that cruelty has crept into many of them over the years of them experiencing abuse and exploitation and this is how they interact with people yeah or even cruelty to others and cruelty to themselves has johanna had so much objectification of her body that she doesn't care about objectifying her own body and you know does it not mean the same thing to her as it might have meant before she was a tribute or if she wasn't a tribute Mm -hmm. and certainly that it means to Katniss yeah those are really really interesting questions the only other thing I was kind of wondering is if victors generally keep up a relationship with their prep team and stylist Mm. over the years we know that Hamish suddenly looked more put together after they arrived at last year's games. Mm. Yeah, I just kind of wonder because the prep team and stylist and escort for Katniss and Peta, you know, they're all still very friendly with them. They feel connected to them. And I wonder, yeah, if that's something that whether the actual victors would want to see or talk to them aside that that the prep team feels like oh i I come up and talk to them every time you know yeah or if they're still responsible for making sure that they are presentable if Mm -hmm. the camera's cut to cut to them or what have you yeah that's interesting yeah what about you what's your wonderment i was also thinking about the stylists because johanna talks about how her stylist has been working for district seven for 40 years and we previously heard that caesar flickerman has been working for about that long And so it made me start wondering how career paths look in the capital, how long people often spend in those kinds of positions. And that made me start wondering about what the average lifespan of a capital citizen is. 
this is in many ways supposed to be a future in which technology has improved quite a bit. And so... If you can make mutts, can you make humans live for much longer? Exactly. I'd expect that you could increase lifespan at least a bit compared to our own. And so if that's the case, are people working and expected to work in a position for decades? And thus, is it even harder to break into a position like a stylist or or what have you? That is interesting because you look at our world and it's who's the next up and coming person, Mm -hmm. right? You want newness, you want fresh eyes, you want difference right but i wonder if even snow has some amount of control over it because we know that he doesn't like change totally yeah (laughs) if it's like another way to try to maintain control over people Mm -hmm. and what's presented to the world yeah exactly so yeah it just made me start thinking about what the the career paths of capital citizens are totally yeah my other wonderment was just how Finnick's affairs are covered by the capital and mm-hmm. streamed to the districts because Katniss knows a lot about not only Finnick's games, but what's happened to him afterwards and how he might have multiple affairs in, and I say affairs because I think that's the best word that we have right now, mm-hmm. but obviously there's a lot of exploitation involved here. But, you know, people who Katniss describes him as spending time with or spending the night with. But she says that she'll go through multiple ones in a single trip and he'll never stay and he'll never come back. That's just a lot of information to know. Totally. For something that is, seems to be kind of quasi-official. Yeah. And so... Or entirely official. Exactly. I guess, you know, is it, I guess, is, is kind of my question is how much of this is part of coverage how much of this is Katniss intuiting things I mean if an ex a celebrity these types of things will be plastered all over right news about yeah but how much is she watching the news yeah you know so is this you know they have to watch capital feeds during the hunger games mm-hmm. and so is this so important to the capital that during the hunger games new hunger games Cut they're bringing people on exactly yeah so yeah it's just it it, it raised my eyebrow to think about how she found out all this information yes i mean i would love to know all the different things yes absolutely yeah yeah but we've talked a lot so let's head into our last segment these are our intentions on this one chapter on this one chapter exactly (laughs) this is why we did just one (laughs) (laughs) so what is your intention What what are you taking with you from this reading and this discussion so going back to what you were talking about earlier about the prep team emotionally burdening Katniss not like having any comprehension how they're making it worse rather than being a support you know mm. and it was just reminding me so much of the Rose family from Schitt's Creek <laughs> particularly at the beginning of that show yeah. which it, it, it's a great show if you haven't seen it and how they would just everything is about them it's so hard for them to even imagine that other people have their own interiority mm-hmm. and, and feelings about things and ways of doing things. You know, I know I'm not like them by any means, but I'm sure that there are still ways that my own privileges and upbringing kind of veil 
maybe insensitivity or disparity that could be embedded in some of my thoughts or perspectives. So yeah, just trying to keep that in mind. Would Katniss roll my eyes at this? Would this be burning Katniss, you know? That's nice. Yeah. What about you? What's your intention? Yeah, reading this chapter and having this discussion has really, for the first time, made me start to question Katniss as a narrator. Mm. And so I think my intention from here is to be a little bit more active in questioning how reliable a narrator Katniss is. Because we saw her show rather than tell for the prep team. And so Mm -hmm. she wasn't really describing her own emotional state there. But we also don't really see her looking at these other victors in depth or kind of seeing what their experiences are. You know, we're, we're building a lot of those kinds of connections and a lot of that discussion. She's not really spending a lot of time there. And so, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm interested in kind of having a more metatextual engagement with upcoming chapters to see if that's something that does continue on. And maybe if that's something that Collins did purposefully to say something about who Katniss is or about this world or, or just about the narrative. So yeah, that's just something I, that they kind of hit me in these chapters that I, I, I'm looking forward to diving a little deeper into. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a really interesting thought to see what is not on the page mm-hmm. and what that tells us about Katniss and her perspective and experiences. Yeah, exactly. Rather than just what is. Mm-hmm. And I'm so used to Katniss being a, a really great narrator that and she is i mean she's very insightful but yeah that i lean into that i think and Mm -hmm. so that's why i want to kind of intentionally take a step back from that totally yeah okay well that will wrap up this week's discussion what's happening next time on the hunger games so next week we are going to be reading chapters 16 and 17 going back to two chapters where katniss does some defiant finger painting Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, the best sort of finger painting. Yeah, I only have one good memory of finger painting, and it was when I was in pre-kindergarten, and I was finger painting with chocolate pudding. You would enjoy that. Om nom 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 nom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was great. Otherwise, too messy. Well, Katniss does make a mess of things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode You can find links to our website, our social media, and our Patreon in the episode description. And if you join us on Patreon, you can get access to the really amazing discussions we're having with our supporters in our book club posts. We want to thank Kimberly Taylor Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find her designs at lacelet.com or searching for Lacelet on Instagram. She also just launched her own Patreon. Yeah. So if you like artistic things, you can always go check that out. I definitely recommend it. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek out!